Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. series in Proverbs called Motives Matter, and we're in Proverbs chapter 6 today, and we're going to take a text from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, and I'm going to read from the Amplified. It'll come up on your screen, but if you're taking notes, you can put that in. That I want to talk to you today about the idea or the concept, say what you mean, mean what you say. Now, remember the overarching picture or the overarching purpose of the book of Proverbs is this contrast between wisdom and foolishness and the results of wisdom and the results of foolishness. So it covers a gamut of things that we deal with in our life based on what is wise and what is foolish. Everything from uh, money to relationships to our relationship with God to righteousness and and justice and even all the way down to the words that we use and how we speak and so today we're going to talk a little bit about truth and a little bit about how we speak and the words we use and the power that they have so today I want to talk to you about say what you mean and mean what you say let's take our scripture in Proverbs chapter 6 verse 1 through 3 and read it with me my son if you have become surety guaranteed a debt or obligation for your neighbor if you have given your pledge for the debt of a stranger or another outside your family if you've been snared with the words of your lips everybody let's read that again if you have been snared with the words of your lips if you've been trapped by the speech of your mouth do this now my son and release yourself from that obligation. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and plead with your neighbor to pay his debt and release you. (laughs) So interesting, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We just ask you, God, to, to immerse us in it, Lord. We need you now more than ever. We need your discernment, we need your wisdom. And we, God, we ask you for that, Lord, today. We ask you, you said in your word, in, 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 in James, you said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who abradeth not and giveth to every man liberally. So God, you'll, you'll give it to us abundantly and not criticize us for not having it. So Father, we thank you that we have your wisdom today. We thank you that your word is your wisdom, that your presence is your wisdom. And we thank you that you're in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Man, God is so good. You know, have you ever wished that you just kept your mouth shut? Uh, Have you ever gotten caught up in your ego and promised things you shouldn't have? Have you ever tried to look like a big deal and in doing so put yourself in a precarious situation? We, We have all done this to some level and it's foolish. Who knows why we do the things like this and and why we get ourselves in a negative situations. But when we do, it's important to undo it. And the problem a lot of times is we don't know how to undo things that we do. We just know how to do them, get ourselves in a mess, and then we just don't know what to do after that. But it's important you hear the, the, the wise man saying, the father saying to the son, listen, 
if you do this, if you obligate yourself, if you speak out of turn and commit yourself above what you're able or when you shouldn't, then you need to make sure that you take care of that. You get out of that because you've made a mistake and you need to rectify it. You know, one thing I have realized in our society, in today's world, personal responsibility just isn't a part of our dynamic anymore. We just don't want that. Uh, we would rather if we do something wrong or we don't do what we need to do or we get out of sorts or something of that nature, we'd rather blame that on someone else. That's why we have a term in our culture today called blame shifting. It's not something that we even used years ago. It's a term that's been created in the last few decades because it's something that has started when we started refusing personal responsibility. In other words, I'm taking responsibility for what I did. I can remember many times when I was a kid that my dad, if I would do something wrong, my dad would say to me, you need to take responsibility for that. You need to speak up and say, I did that. I'm sorry. I will rectify it. Because that's what a person of integrity does. We decide that if we do something wrong, we take responsibility for it. You know, even in our spiritual walk, we need to do that. If you're in your relationship with God, you fail, you sin, and, and we all do. That when you do that, you don't just leave it alone. You don't go into denial. You don't blame others or blame circumstances. You just go to God and you say, I'm sorry. I, I, I messed up. I was wrong. You know, there's a scripture that says, if we confess our uh, faults, and this is in 1 John, it says, if we confess our faults, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word confess there means to agree with. In other words, when the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, this is wrong in your life, you need to take personal responsibility and say, I agree. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And you go to God and you ask him and he releases you from that. And he forgives you of that. And he goes even further. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, purify you and sanctify you. See, this is the God we serve. He's so gracious, but he's not just gracious to cover up when we do wrong. He's gracious to fix it when we do wrong, when we will go to him and just admit, you're right, I'm wrong. And this is something we don't like in our culture. We'd rather blame shift than we would to take personal responsibility. And, and, and we all do this. And, and I think that some of the reasons that we do this and some of the reasons that we get ourselves in these messes is, well, let me just ask a question. Is it possible? I mean, do you think that it's possible that we just talk way too much? We just talk too much. We just say too much. You know, there was this unbelievable moment when Jesus was on the earth and he was getting closer and closer to that time in which he was going to give his life, die on the cross, and then be raised from the dead. And he was talking to his disciples and he was asking them a very simple but sincere question, who do men say that I am? Because it was very important to Jesus at this point in his ministry that someone know and be able to identify him as who he really was. And they begin to say, well, men say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah, come back uh, from the dead or come back from heaven because he was exalted into heaven. Some people say you're a John the Baptist raised from the dead. They were saying all these different things, a great teacher, a great prophet. And he looked at them and he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, with total conviction, stands up 
And he says, I just imagine he stands up. The Bible doesn't give us that detail, but I can't imagine he sat there. I, I imagine he stood up in the fervor that we know Peter to have and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He named him. He identified him in that moment. And, and the reason it's so important is because up until this point, they would, they would, it would say things like they didn't really realize who he was. They didn't get it that he was God's son, that he was the Messiah. He was Yeshia HaMashiach, the, 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 the one that was to come and the savior of the world, the, the son of God. And when Peter said this, it resonated with everyone there, especially with Jesus. And Jesus said, wow, wow, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. God has spoken to you. God has spoken to you, Peter. You've got revelation. Now, you would think that this is where Peter would stop because why say anything else? He has said something that was from God. He had prophesied. He had, he had spoken a revelation that was straight from heaven. Nothing more needs to be said. But as Jesus continued to talk and he began to tell the disciples what was going to happen to him, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die, that he was going to raise from the dead, he was trying to get this out to explain to them what was about to occur. And Peter inserts himself again because he's you know he's high on his own supply he is he is so full of himself because he got this revelation from God and he's going to step in and and take care of this situation no God forbid they will not do this to you we will not allow it and Jesus spins around and looks at him in the face and says Peter he even does worse than that he doesn't call him Peter he calls him devil he says, you're acting like Satan. You're standing in the way of the will and purpose of God. You had understanding given to you by heaven, but then you started talking out of your own mind, and now you don't have understanding at all. You see, Peter could have stopped at you're the Messiah, but he just kept going. Why do we talk so much? Proverbs 10, verse 19 in the NIV, it says, when there are many words, transgression and offense are unavoidable. But he who controls his lips and keeps thoughtful silence is wise. In other words, when we talk too much, sin is at the door. When you get to talking so much that you, you run out of things to say and now you're just talking whatever, sin's coming. You're going to say something you shouldn't say. You're going to offend in a way that you shouldn't. That it's wise to listen. It's wise for us to be quiet and to be thoughtful. <laughs> I think it's interesting in James where it said that we shouldn't rush to anger or, or rush to speak, but we should be quick to hear. It's so important. I love Will Rogers. There's so many good things about him and so many things that he said and did and wrote. But one of the things he said that I love, it's one of my favorite quotes from him. Matter of fact, it's the favorite quote that I have from him. He said this. He said, never miss a great opportunity to shut up. And I think that is so good. And just like you, I have been very guilty of this, especially people like me who communicate for a living. You know, we have to, we have to think about our words. We have to process as we study and as we prepare and we want to say the right things and not the wrong things but what I have come to realize is that a lot of times when we don't really when we're not really intentional we don't really think it through and we're not thoughtful about our speech we say things we shouldn't say 
And uh, it's important for us to get this. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28 says, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So <laughs> here's something. Even if you're a fool and you're filled with foolishness, when you're quiet, people think you're smart. So sometimes when you're in that meeting or you're around certain people, just be quiet and you won't reveal your ignorance. It's so important for us to learn to be wise by not speaking so much. You know, in this passage of scripture, what he's talking about more than anything is he's talking about using your words to make promises, using your words to say things and getting yourself in over your head. I remember uh, one time that uh, I was a part of a ministry that there was a guy that was a part of it, and I think he had good intentions. I think that he um, he was wanting to do this, and and he was he wasn't conning anybody. I think he was serious about this. But we were doing some kind of a capital campaign, trying to build something that would that would have legacy to it. And we were putting the money together for it. And this guy, who had apparently had all this ability financially, um, said he was going to give several hundred thousand dollars to this. And unwisely, the leader of the organization, before he had the money in hand, began to plan as if he had the money. And began to act as if he had the money. And turns out this guy who had committed, I think it was somewhere around $700,000, didn't have the money. Couldn't come up with the money. And so all plans had to change. And it threw the project into major crisis. And I really don't believe that the man was conning. I think he had good intentions. But he just spoke out of zeal and out of passion. And made this commitment that he was unable to keep. And when we say things we don't mean. And we mean things we don't say. It causes confusion. And it messes things up. Because making promises and not keeping them hurts people making promise if you want to if you want your children to disrespect you and dishonor you when they're older then make them a bunch of promises and don't keep it it, it destroys our credibility when we overcommit. it 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 compromises our integrity when we speak out of turn and make promises and cannot fulfill those promises the Bible even says in Ecclesiastes that we should not make vows to God. Uh, if we do make a vow to God, we must keep it, and we shouldn't even make one if we're not able to keep it. It compromises our integrity, our credibility, and man, the truth is it can actually become a bad habit in our life where we want to be seen this way, so we say things we shouldn't say in ways that we shouldn't say, and then it becomes a problem and it hurts people. You know what it is? It's, it's it, it, in all honesty, it's a selfish ambition at its worst. We, we love the good feeling of saying we're the hero and we're going to do something heroic. But then when we can't follow through, it creates all kinds of problems. And worse, if you're a believer, listen, it misrepresents Christ. It makes Jesus look bad when we do this as believers. 
And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of believers do this with good intentions, but speak too much, go too far, say too much, commit to too much, and then can't fulfill it. And you're not just making yourself look bad. You're making Christianity look bad. You're making Jesus look bad. I remember one time we were on a mission trip, and, and in our training, uh, it's, which is now called Summit, Summit Church Global, used to be called Global Reach, uh, before we came here and 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 with global reach we went on a trip to Africa and when we do a training we call it flex training and it's about being flexible and we talk about different things that you should and shouldn't do when you go on these trips because there are a lot of things that cross-culturally can be misunderstood and one of the rules we always have is don't obligate us to things that we have not told you we will do uh, don't put us on the hook for something that we're not able to do. Because when you get in these situations in a developing nation, there's a lot of need. And there's a lot of need around you. And you're going to deal with people and talk to people that have a lot of need. And you're going to want to say, we're going to meet that need for you. And it may be something that we can't do, or it may not even be the right thing to do. And so we, I remember one time we were sitting there, and, and one of the things that we were doing, we're doing this church conference this leadership conference and there was a little dance group from another church a little African dance group and these guys were so awesome they were just precious guys I still am in contact with them and they're, they're just precious guys love the Lord they dance and sang and just they were they were just amazing guys and they were all young adults and 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 probably late teens and they, they were just so life-giving in everything they did, so encouraging. And so we spent a lot of time with them on that trip. And they would go eat with us. And, of course, we paid for their meals. And we took care of them financially and gave them an honorarium for being there. And, and we did that. But as we were there, some of, our, some of our people got close to them. And we were eating together. And there was this older lady. She was not really old. She was probably in her 50s. And she was, um, she was sitting by one of them. And then she just started promising things like you can we're gonna we're gonna bring you to America we're gonna bring you to America and we're gonna have you perform at our church and you're gonna perform at our youth camps and at our church and you can live in our homes and I mean she just started promising them the world now that may not sound like a big deal to you but to a young poor African who wants to do ministry more than anything that sounds like heaven to them. And that was not something we were prepared to do or we could do, even legally. She was so, uh, um, so zealous about being their hero that she forgot you don't have the power to do what you're saying you're going to do. And so after it was over, we had a talk, and I'll have to say I may have sinned with all the words I said. <laughs> but anyway, I just told her, I said, ma'am, you can't do that. We talked about this training. Now, I've got to go solve this for them. I've got to go tell them this is not something that's going to happen, and I'm sorry that someone promised you that that would happen. I think they understood in their heart that she was speaking out of bounds because... They knew the legalities of all that. They knew the money that it would take just to get them out of the country. They knew that all of that would have to be prepared and organized. Not that we couldn't do it in the long term, but the fact that she would just promise that, not thinking of herself making that happen, but thinking of me making it happen. And so we, we get ourselves in trouble when we get into these places where we're, we say things 
that aren't a lie necessarily, but a promise to do something that we really aren't capable of doing. And it's very much um, a mar or a taint on our integrity and our honesty. And we need to be careful about how we do this. You know, James chapter 5, verse 12, uh, it makes it very clear that we need to mean what we say and say what we mean. He says this, but above all, my fellow believers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be a truthful yes and your no be a, tr uh, a truthful no so that you may not fall under judgment. In other words, what James was telling us is, look, it should be enough for you to say yes or no. You should be so filled with integrity and people should know you as a person of honesty that if you say yes, that's what it means. And if you say no, that's what it means. You don't have to swear. You don't have to make it bigger than it is. You don't have to put your hand on a stack of Bibles. You don't have to say, I guarantee. You, you should be so full of honesty and so full of integrity and have a, have a track record of these things that when you say yes, it's a truthful yes. And when you say no, it's a truthful no, it's always good rule of thumb. And I've always told people this in leadership circles, but I say it even in spiritual circles. And I know, I know we have faith and I know that we are believing for things that are bigger than what we can accomplish. But there's a difference between having faith and lying. There's a big difference. And we've got to be careful that we're, when we're following that faith, it's something backed up by the word of God. And we're not just speaking some nonsense and calling it faith. There's a big difference. It's always a good rule of thumb to under-promise and over-deliver. If you want to bless somebody, then bless them. But don't promise to bless them and then not be able to bless them. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Here's some possible reasons why we say too much. Number one, we have a savior complex. Now, let me just make it very clear. There's only one savior. His name is Jesus. You can't change anybody's heart. You can't forgive anybody's sins. You can't make anybody a new creation. You cannot promise anybody eternity with God. You cannot make any of those things happen. You do not have the power to regenerate or to sanctify or to anoint or to empower. That is not within your ability. You are not the Savior. I am not the Savior. There is only one Savior. His name is Jesus. But sometimes as Christians, when we want to do good for people, and especially as Western Christians, we get this idea of, I want to be, I want to swoop in and do something good. Swooping in because we have pity on someone and we like the feeling of being the person who made a way for it to happen. The, the problem with this is that sometimes it's not the best thing for the person you're trying to help. And it's probably not the best thing for you either especially if you don't know them well. We teach short-term missionaries who travel with Summit Church Global, just like I said. We teach them not to have the American Savior complex. In other words, kids begging in the marketplaces don't ever give them money. Now, it makes you feel good to give them money, 
But when we did that one time, one of the church leaders from Cambodia came to us and said, listen, please tell your people. I know they're compassionate and I know they love and they're giving these kids money, but you need to tell them to stop giving them money. And I said, well, why? Tell me what I need to tell them that will really get through. He said, because if we give these kids money in the marketplace as they're begging for money of all these tourists, they will never go get their education because they feel like they can just come to the market and beg for money and get money. And if they don't get their education, they will not ever get out of this poverty cycle that exists in their life. That education is the key to getting out of that poverty cycle. Not a momentary begging of giving a gift or giving a gift, but the idea of learning how to be prosperous yourself. So sometimes it's making us feel good, making us feel like a hero, but we have ways of helping that may not be visible and they may not feel as good, but they're the right things to do it. It's always interesting to me that the hero complex, the savior complex, always have to do with being seen as the savior. And we have to be careful that even in our good intentions, we don't speak out of turn because we're trying to make ourselves feel like a, a, a big person or a person who did something great. That's not the point, is it? The point is the need is met, not that our pride is elevated. The second one is pride. The, the because I can reason. It makes you feel like a big person, and maybe you were compassionate about how um, uh, you wanted to do something, but now you're stuck and have to do it. And what if they don't or can't keep their end of the bargain? You know, somebody owes some money and you're like, I'll co-sign for you. And you really don't have the ability to do that. If they were to go default on their debt, you wouldn't be able to pay it. But you were a Christian and you're compassionate and you speak up and say, I'll co-sign or I'll, I'll hold the debt for you. I'll be a surety for you. It's, it's, it's asinine and it's foolishness. And in the end, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt them. So what if, what if they can't keep their end of the bargain and pay it? Have you, ever, you have to think that through. The third reason may be that we do this, speak out of turn, and overcommit is pressure. And maybe we don't know how to say no. I know a lot of people who don't know how to say no. I've got people in my family that don't know how to say no. And I have to frequently remind them, listen, you got to be careful because you can't commit to everything. If you commit to everything, you won't do anything well. If you ever heard that statement, if you do everything, you're really doing nothing. And it's the truth. Even though we know it's not the best thing to do or the wise thing to do, sometimes we'll do things because we feel pressure. We feel like it's what others want or expect us to do. And that pressure pushes us into a full decision being wise with our commitments is so important I can't even I can't even say how important it is to you and you know a lot of our life because we're so busy and we're so running and we're so going a lot of times we say things we shouldn't say just clearly out of the busyness and the reactionary life that we live and we need to be careful being wise with our commitments is important a big component of successful people is their decision-making ability purposeful difference makers who have an impact and have personal success usually make good choices. However, the opposite is true. People who are unsuccessful and lack the ability to succeed and lack the ability to make difference are people who don't make good decisions. The best thing to do when you have overstepped and made a wrong decision 
or you have spoken out of turn and overcommitted is to undo it as soon as possible. And if we don't, it won't end well. Now, I can speak to you from a place of biblical principle on that, but I can also speak to you from a place of personal experience on that. So how do we appropriately put it right? And here's a problem. A lot of times we don't know how to fix things, but we need to learn how because there is a way, and it's hard, but it has to be done. So how do we appropriately put things right when we overcommit? The first thing we do is, oh, we don't like this word very much, but it's the truth. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. In other words, you go to the person to whom you've overcommitted, and you admit that you got carried away. And that you need to take a step back. Or, or that you should not have taken that step to begin with. And then ask if there's any way you can remove yourself from the situation. This is what the, the, the Proverbs is telling us. He's saying, listen, if you've committed yourself to your neighbor in this way and you really shouldn't have and you got carried away, go to them right now while you're in their power. In other words, you've given them the ability to make decisions for you because you've overcommitted to them. So now you need to go to them and rectify that right now before it's too late and you can't get out of it. The second thing is be apologetic and ask for mercy. Everybody say it with me. Say I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, is it hard? Is it, I'm sorry. It's hard to say. But you know what? In our family, we've made a rule. Don't say, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, because really what you should say, instead of saying, I'm sorry, sure, you feel sorrowful. A lot of times we feel sorrowful about things. But we're not really, we're not really being apologetic. Being apologetic means to say these words that are even harder to say than I'm sorry. I was wrong. It's hard to admit we get it wrong. It's hard to admit we failed. It's hard to admit that we made a mistake. But being apologetic and asking for mercy is that second and, and great way to remove yourself from a situation that you didn't have good integrity in to begin with. Tell them you're sorry and that you let your ego carry you away. And you want to see if there's any way you can get free of this obligation. If they can go ahead and pay their debt or someone else can stand up for them that is able to. And the third way is, and especially this way is important. When you're in a situation where you felt pressured and you overcommitted because of pressure, because of people's opinions or because of people's attitudes or because of the pressure of the circumstance or situation or because of the pressure the person asking you put on you, you should always just Say no. Be firm. Don't give in to manipulation. You know, when someone pressures you to do something that is their agenda, it's always manipulative. It's, if they're pressuring you to do something that prospers them or benefits them, it's manipulation. Now, I didn't say asking you. I said pressuring you. If a person begins to pressure you to do something for them, it's manipulation and you need to back away from it. You need to get away from that. Let them know you felt pressured and you should have just said no, but you didn't. And the only way to be, listen to me, the only way to be free of emotional control in your life is to learn how to say no. I'm not going to let you control me emotionally and manipulate me emotionally. And the only way to do that is to break it by saying no. 
Why don't you do this for me? I no one will ever do anything for me. I can't get anyone to help me. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're a Christian. All of these things, even though somebody may need help, all of these things are pressure and manipulation to get you emotionally stoked so you'll overcommit to something you can't really do. And you need to say, on the other hand, it's when someone's trying to sell you on something, a vision that they have, even a ministry vision. If, if, if we begin to put pressure on you or guilt you, that's manipulative and we won't ever do that. Now, if you feel guilt, that's on you. But if we put it on you, that's manipulation. We won't ever do that. Why? Because it's not godly. And we don't want to pressure you in. The Bible said even when we take up offerings, it shouldn't be pressurized. In other words, there should never be you've got to give and you should give. And if you don't give, you'll. Or if you do give, you'll get. That we Listen, we don't do that. We don't operate that way. Why? Because it's manipulation. And I would expect someone who's being pressured that way to say no. Because it's the only way to break that emotional control in our lives. This making sense to you? I hope it's giving you some practical insight on the way we should be using our words. And that we should always mean what we say. And we should always say what we mean. It, when I say that phrase even, it is an, it, there's an intentionality to it. So there are always uh, ways to be compassionate. And there are always ways to be helpful to those in need. There are ways that you should do it, but overcommitting, overpledging, making bad choices that will ultimately not help you and ultimately not help them will hurt you in the process. You know, like mama used to say, make good choices. Good choices start with wise words. Like the great philosophers run DMC said, you talk too much and you never shut up. Sometimes wisdom doesn't look compassionate or give you all the feels because it's not based on feelings, but rather proper long-term big-picture responses, not short-term small-picture reactions. Listen to me. It's based on long-term big-picture responses, not short-term little-picture reactions. We need to understand just feeling good or looking good are not good reasons to overcommit or overpledge. This is where motives come in, and motives do matter. When our true desire is just to appear helpful or to draw attention that we were helpful, instead of sincerely trying to be helpful in whatever we, way we can, then we start making bad choices and we start uh, becoming hurtful instead of becoming helpful. We must have good, pure motives when it comes to this and let our motives color our choices. We choose values over emotions. We choose wisdom over foolishness. We choose humility over pride and we choose courage over fear. But here's an encouraging thought and this is what I want to leave you with today and why most importantly we should mean what we say and say what we mean. While speaking foolishly can harm, speaking wisely can heal. I'm going to say it again. While speaking foolishly can harm, speaking wisely can heal. While your no needs to be a firm no, your yes can also be a thoughtful, intentional, committed yes. Proverbs 18.21 says this in the Amplified. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
And those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. In other words, your words are powerful. This old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never harm me, is a lie. And it's also true that words can help you. Words are powerful. This is why the Bible tells us in James that the tongue is a small member of the body, but it moves the whole body. That if a person wants to be perfect in their walk, that the first place they start is getting control of their tongue. Speaking words of life, not death. Speaking words of blessing, not cursing. Speaking words of help and not hurt. Speaking words of, of, of kindness instead of hatefulness. Proverbs 12, 25 says this, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good, encouraging word makes it glad. I can't tell you the times that someone has spoken life to me when I, I desperately needed it. I can't tell you the times that God has used me to say, just this morning I was praying for a friend of mine in Africa and the Lord just gave me a little bitty short encouraging word, just, just like one sentence. And I, I really, it was, I didn't feel like it was prophetic in any way, but I just prayed for him and I spoke that word to him and, and I just was saying, hey, love you and prayed for you this morning and here, here's, you know, that your family's blessed and God's hand is on your face. And something about that spoke to him deep and he sent me a message back and he said man I cannot tell you how timely that was for us as a family and, and, and see we just don't know we don't know what people are going through we don't know what struggles are out there but when you're a believer and the Holy Spirit resides in you and you speak the word of God there's prophetic anointing on that word and when you speak life into someone who is experiencing death when you speak encouragement into someone who's experiencing discouragement when you speak joy into someone who's experiencing depression when you speak love into someone who's experiencing fear when you speak love and kindness into someone who is experiencing hate uh, uh, you speak forgiveness into someone who's experiencing bitterness it it changes things it plants a seed that brings forth fruit that literally produces in a way that changes people's lives and makes a difference and so here are three ways wise words give life number one be thoughtful, intentional, and wise with your words. If you're going to mean what you say and say what you mean, you need to be thoughtful, intentional, and wise with the way you speak. Don't just be speaking, but speak with thoughtfulness and intentionality and wisdom. If you, if you want to help, think about what you can actually do to help. If you want to, in, uh, to help, intentionally help. If you want to help, make clear and concise commitment to do it. In other words, you could say to someone, I, I can't co-sign for you, but I can loan you some money or I can give you this amount to help you. But you do that after thinking. Anytime someone is asking you for help, there is no requirement for you to immediately respond. You need to think about what you can do and then be intentional about it. The second thing is speak truth and life. Don't blow smoke. Don't exaggerate. Don't overdo it. Don't make yourself look better than you are. Don't try to bring your pride and your ego into it. Just speak the truth of the Word of God. Remember, Christ is the center, not us. You remember, Peter could have stopped. 
when he said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That was the end. He didn't need to say anything else, but he kept on talking. Sometimes we just need to stop talking and just put Jesus at the center and do whatever he says. Speak truth and speak life, but don't blow a bunch of exaggerated smoke at someone trying to represent something you're not. Number three, and the last, speak faith in God. 2 Corinthians 4.13 tells us this. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Words backed by scripture at the right time for a specific need is what we're trying to achieve here. Like Ananias the prophet to Paul, when Paul had been blinded on the road to Damascus and went to this house and Ananias came to him and spoke to him about what God wanted to do with his life. That's what God wants to use us. When we speak, he wants to use us to speak life into someone else's life. In a hopeless world, we need to see this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you right now how this works. I'm going to show you. And at the end that I get through saying this, I'm going to tell you, you're going to sense the anointing. You're going to experience a lift in your spirit. But just listen. In a hopeless world, we need to understand God is our hope. And Hebrews 6, 19 says, it was speaking of Jesus and the gospel. And it said, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The world may be trying to push you around. Listen, but you don't have to give in. You don't have to be tossed to and fro by the deceitfulness of this world. But you need to understand you have an anchor. And that anchor is the hope of Jesus and his gospel. Do you feel overwhelmed by the spirit of this age? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says this. You, dear children, are from God. God, and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Are you feeling uh, fear? Are you battling with fear? Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven says, for the spirit of that God gave us does not make us timid or fearful, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. Come on, do you feel defeated right now in your life or your circumstances? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we have this hope in Jesus. Jesus. Do you feel discouraged or depressed today? Psalms 34 verse 8 in the NLT says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Come on. That's what it means to speak life. If we're going to use words, let's speak life. Let's speak joy. Let's speak peace. Let's be careful that we're not speaking lies in an attempt to exaggerate personal preferences. Don't take the words of the world on their face value. Instead, stand firm in the word of the Lord and speak life into every situation. I was reading in the Bible this morning. It said that everything will pass away, but the word of the Lord will never pass away. Sometimes our mouth 
is bigger than our brain. Our ego gets mixed in. Our pride carries us away. Even our good intentions can create negative scenarios. Sometimes we don't think our words carry enough weight, so we exaggerate. We overcommit. We talk too much, and it hands us a, a, a trouble that we don't want to receive. And at the very least, it hurts other people. Our words have power. If we learn to say what we mean and mean what we say, then we can be agents of life and truth and encouragement, or we can be undisciplined with our mouth, with our mouth and we can create destruction. It's our choice. And I'm encouraging you today, choose life, speak life. Father, we thank you for your word today. It has taught us so very practically how important it is to be truthful and honest and how important it is to speak words of life in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you're watching us today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you that all that I've been talking about starts with some words. It starts with confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and uh, 8 through 10, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus uh, Christ was raised from the dead and we confess him as our Lord and Savior, that we'll be saved. So it starts with making a commitment to follow Christ, making a commitment to say, God, I believe you are the Son of God, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you raised from the dead. And I'm committing with my mouth to follow you. And so I want to encourage you today, if that's you, pray with one of our pastors on the online campus. Pray with one of them and make sure you make this commitment, this decision to follow Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.